All right, today we're going to finish the series that we started five weeks ago entitled Engaging Evil. We know that we're doing exactly that. You know, we just got out of October, the time of month we kind of poke fun at the dark side of life, but there's nothing funny about Satan. He is among us, he is evil, and he is filled with fury for you and me. Last week, we started a counterattack. We've been talking about the first weeks about what Satan does to oppress us, what Satan does to attack us. Last week, we started looking at how we can resist his attacks. And we're reminded in Ephesians 6.11 to put on the full armor of God so that we can take our stand against the devil's schemes. Now, Satan is obvious sometimes. And we see evil out there, like in the shootings over the last couple of weeks. We see that kind of evil. But more often than not, Satan's working behind the scenes. He's scheming. In fact, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen says, Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. See, he doesn't always like to see that evil side. He'd rather you see him as an angel of light. And so he is very scheming. He's very conniving in how he works. Ephesians 6.12, though, reminds us that he is a force of evil, and that's who we're up against today. We're not battling each other, really. We are battling the forces of evil that are among us. And therefore, 2 Corinthians 10.4 says, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. We have different weapons to fight this war with. I was amused thinking the other day when I was going to get into the weapons how many people were thinking, maybe I was going to tell you to surround your bed at night with garlic, you know, or sleep with a crucifix on your chest or, you know, a big family edition of the Bible. Now, those are the weapons that Hollywood makes up, but we're talking about the weapons God gave us. Now, I'm, I don't have time to repeat everything that we've learned with the weapons last week, but let me just catch us up and for those who weren't here. Paul's using the most fierce fighting presence on the earth at that time, a Roman soldier. Rome had conquered all the world. And they were occupying the Middle East. And so every day people saw Roman soldiers. And so Paul, in trying to describe our spiritual weapons, used the weaponry of a Roman soldier. We saw last week that the first thing is the belt of truth that we need to have. Roman soldiers would put a belt on around their tunic, and they'd tuck that tunic before they went into battle into that belt so that they didn't have any loose impediments that could get in their way in their mobility and fighting ability. And we decided that our belt of truth spiritually is truthful commitment to the cause of Christ. In other words, we got to decide whose side we're on, who we're fighting for. We can't be in both camps. We got to choose which camp. Because if Satan sees us double-minded, if he sees us one foot in God's house and the other foot back out in the world, he's got us right where he wants us. He's going to come and he is going to beat up on us. So we have to have truthful commitment to the cause of Christ. Then we have to wear the breastplate of righteousness. And we saw last week that that's imputed righteousness that God covers us with when we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior. God clothes us with the righteousness of Jesus so that our sins, he no longer counts against us. But it's also a practical righteousness of living a life of righteousness. In other words, living a life for Christ so that when the day of evil comes, we're not stopping thinking, now again, is this coming from God or is this coming from Satan? See, we live righteously so that we know when evil does come that it's Satan, and therefore we know how to respond. Then there's the protection of our reputation. 
People will cast accusations at us, but if we are living righteously, there will be other people there to defend us. Then we looked at last week, the boots of peace, that we should have our feet shod with the boots of peace. Footwear to an infantry soldier is still critical even today. Back in the day of Rome, it was critical there also. Now, our foundation as Christians is peace. It's peace with God through our faith in Jesus Christ. When we have peace with God through our faith in Jesus Christ, he bestows on us the peace of God so that when, when discouragement comes, when devastation comes, we don't fall apart like so many do because the Bible says God gives us a peace that passes understanding. In situations we ought to be falling apart, we don't. Why? Because the Holy Spirit comes in and bears witness with us that we are the children of God. Then we have peace with others. See, we live in a very divisive world, don't we? We see that more right now than we may have ever seen, ever in my lifetime. We are fighting each other. We're battling each other. But for believers, we are to be a presence of calm, a presence of peace in the world. What did Jesus say in his very first recorded sermon, the Sermon on the Mount? He said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they, they'll be called the sons of God. That's how people will know. And then we also have to have peace with ourselves, because our wrestle, Satan gets us wrestling with ourselves all the time, and he gets us all stirred up with ourselves. And so we need to use peace with God and the peace of God and peace with others to finally bring peace for us. Now today we're going to continue with the weapons and we're going to finish this series today and I'm going to have to really move along. So you ready to go? All right, let's learn our final weapons. The next weapon is the shield of faith, Ephesians 6.16. It says, with it you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now the Roman shield was a special shield. In Latin it was called scutum, S-C-U-T-U-M. And the shield was anywhere from three and a half to four feet tall and three feet wide. Now, back in that day, people were much shorter than we are today. I mean, you put that shield in, in Pastor Barnabas's arms, who's six, seven, six, eight, it's going to look like a toy. But back then, I mean, it covered pretty much the whole body of the soldier. And it was, it was made of several layers of wood that were glued together, and it was curved so that blows would be deflected off the shield. Also, in the middle, you see a metal knob that was called a boss. And the boss was there to, again, protect from other blows. Uh, that's where the hand was, that the soldier was holding it. If, if the enemy could get through the shield of the hand, the soldier couldn't hold the, sword or the shield anymore. So, therefore, there was that big piece of metal there that was protection, but it was also like a battering ram. That, that soldier could use that thing and, and, and beat up and knock down soldiers with it. Now, the, the shield was also then covered with canvas or, or animal skin, and then it was, it was painted, usually with eagles that represented Rome and bolts of lightning that represented uh, Jupiter, their chief god. When they would go into battle, they would wet down that shield because enemy archers would wrap their arrows in cloth and in tar and pitch. They would light them on fire and they'd shoot fiery arrows at them. When they would hit those wet shields, they would be extinguished and they wouldn't hurt the soldiers. Now, that's the symbolism that God is using for us. We need to take up the shield of faith so that when Satan fires his fiery arrows at us, they don't burst, they don't stick. 
And what are those fire arrows? Things we looked at earlier in the series. Things like temptation and devastation and discouragement and doubts and distractions. Those are all fiery arrows that he fires at us all the time. We need to have a shield of faith. Now, what does that look like? That's believing God and his word and not Satan and Satan's lies. See, God's always trying to tell us the truth. Jesus in the Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament, 80 times said, I tell you the truth. God wants us to know the truth. Satan perverts the truth into a lie. It's also acting on what we can't claim to believe. Now, we can quote scripture all day and we can sing songs all day, but if we're not acting on what we believe, then we're playing right into Satan's hands again. So how can we strengthen that field, that shield of faith? How can we make that, that shield strong to resist the attacks of Satan? One thing we do is we can adjust our attitude. Got to adjust my attitude. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. James is the half-brother of Jesus in his only New Testament letter. He says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. All right, so when Satan attacks, we need an attitude adjustment, first of all. Because what happens often when Satan attacks with discouragement or doubt or devastation or all those kind of things, we, oh, we fall apart. Oh, God, why is this happening, God? Why would you let this happen, God? What have I done? Oh, God, God, God. And see, that, that's where he wants us. But James says, when Satan attacks, we need an attitude change. Instead of going, oh, oh we need to say, all right, okay. Jesus warned me about this. God warned me about this. Just because I'm a Christ follower doesn't make me exempt from challenges and crises and things like that that happen in my life. So this is just another one that's coming. In fact, it's an opportunity. I should kind of not joy like, oh, here we go. But joy, okay, God, you trust me enough that I can handle what you've put in my life right now. You trust me that I can, I can make it through this, that I can win this battle. Because we know we got to develop perseverance. Because Satan is going to throw a series of things. Remember, that's what we talked about, discouragement. He keeps sending a series, just one after another, these little minor setbacks and these minor challenges. Any one of them in their cells wouldn't bother us. But it's like thousand deaths by paper cut, right? He just keeps it coming all the time. And so we need to understand and we need to have an attitude and say, okay, I'm not going to fall apart. God, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to persevere through this because you're going to make me stronger through this, not weaker. We need to tally up wins over Satan's attacks. Listen, the more we resist Satan, the more successful we are in making the right choices, the more confident we become the next time an attack comes. James 4, 7 says, submit yourself then to God. That's what we got to do first. Got to put the belt of truth on, the breastplate of righteousness, have the shoes of the gospel of peace. Then we need to have the, the shield of faith, see? We need to submit to God then, Scripture says, we resist the devil, and he'll do what? He'll flee from us. He'll leave us alone until a more opportune time. He'll come back, but he'll leave us alone for a while. The more victories you rack up in resisting temptation, resisting discouragement, the stronger you get. And the next one that comes isn't as powerful. It's not as hard to deal with. So you start just doing little wins, and don't give in. Persevere, and you'll grow in your confidence. I need to increase my support network. We're talking about the shield of faith. In Latin, it was called the scutum. 
But in the New Testament that's written in Greek, the word for shield is thurios. Now the word thurios in the original language of Greek means a door, a gateway. And that's what it would look like when a, a legion of Roman soldiers were coming across the battlefield. It looked like every one of them had a door in front of them because of that thurios, the size of that shield. They would march in tight formations. And in that tight formation, they would be stronger than any individual soldier would be, no matter how well-trained, no matter how brave that soldier, fighting out in the open on his own. They would lump in together and they would march. When arrows, archers were present, they would perform what was called the Roman tortoise. And the Roman tortoise was they would put the shields on top of them and shields all the way around them like a turtle ducks into the shell. Well, that was what they did. They had a strategy so that when the arrows would come down, they wouldn't pierce the men, they'd bounce off the shields. This was also when they were laying siege to a city, when they were throwing rocks and stuff down on them, they'd have the shields up and the Roman soldiers wouldn't be hurt. Now, I told the last service, there, there's a historical error in those pictures. I told them last week, I almost said I'd give $100 to anybody who caught it, but we don't have time to play the game. But you look here and they're, they're in these formations and their legs are showing, aren't they? Remember we talked about last week when we put the boots of peace? Part of that were the greaves. They would put metal on both sides of their legs to protect their legs and wrap cloth around them. See, they're not fully dressed for battle. They don't have the full armor on, so they're vulnerable. That's why we have to put the full armor on, not pick and choose what we have. But the idea really is this, that we win together. See, we're stronger together than we are individually. One of Satan's tactics, his strategies, is to isolate us. He wants to get us by ourselves, and then he can really go to work on us. We need other believers to uphold us. That's why it says in Hebrews 10.25, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage each other. And all the more as you see the day, the day, the return of Christ, the day of judgment coming. We are stronger together. That's why we here at the bridge encourage everyone to be part of a life group so that you're doing life with other believers. You're never isolated. And when someone falls down, when someone gets attacked, others know about it. Satan can't pull you out and isolate you where he can work on you alone. See, we win together. Then also, journal my battles and victories. Journal that. See, I need to write down in, in a book, literally put it down in a book. Get yourself a journal, a spiral notepad, whatever. And chronicle when you go through a hard time, when Satan attacks you. Chronicle how God ultimately delivers you. And then you'll have something to refer back to the next time you get attacked. You'll go back and say, now I got attacked here, here's what happened, and here's how God delivered me. Then you, you, you get a series of those written down. And you go back and say, it happened here, God delivered me. 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 And then all of a sudden, what are you thinking when it happens again? God is going to deliver me, see? And you won't be as, as bound to Satan. So then we need to take up, Scripture says, the helmet. We've got the belt on. We, we've, we've got the breastplate on. We've got the shoes on. We've got our shield of faith now we need a helmet. Important part of any soldier's, even today's, warfare gear, especially infantry men. 
Roman helmet had, had a piece of metal that went down over the shoulders so they couldn't get cut in the back of the neck, came down on the sides, came down the front, had ridges on it so a weapon would get caught in the ridge instead of being able to penetrate to the, to the flesh. The helmet was important. The helmet of salvation protects our minds because that's where Satan makes war with us more than any place else is our minds. And in that, Paul describes it as the helmet of salvation. That's for a purpose. Because Satan's blows are directed at our security and our assurance in Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Well, Satan's most disturbing attack against believers is tempting a believer to believe that they've lost their salvation or that they never had their salvation. See, that's where he wants to get us. He wants us to get us to say, ah, oh, you're not really a believer. Not you. You're playing the game. Everyone, those other people at the bridge, now, they really got it, but not, not you. You don't have it. And you're not protected in Jesus Christ. See, if con Satan can convince us that we've lost our salvation or that we never had it, then our entire spiritual foundation comes crumbling down and we are laid bare before Satan's attacks. Because our spiritual weapons, what? They are divine in nature. They have divine power. And if he can remove God from the equation and make us feel like God is not for us, then he, we are easy prey. Jesus said in John 6, something really important. He said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. In other words, Jesus says, here's how salvation works. God's always looking around and seeing looking for a man, a woman, who is tender-hearted towards the story of Jesus Christ, God's salvation. And when he finds that person who is open-minded, open-hearted towards the things of God, he begins to draw that person to Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit might use a book, might use a movie, might use another believer, might use a song, might use a sermon, might use a Bible study. But God's reaching, pulling that person towards Jesus so they, they put their faith in Jesus Christ. So God's at work. Jesus goes on to say in John 6, 37 and 39, all the Father gives me will come to me. Why? Because God's drawn people to Jesus, right? He says, all the Father gives to me come to me, and whoever comes to me, read it with me, I will never drive away. Read that again. I will never drive away. One more time. I Oh, you got to put that helmet on. See, because we do bad, and then Satan fills our head that, that God's done with us. Because we've done that before, now we've done it, and God's done with us. He's driven us away. Jesus goes on to say, and this is the will of him who sent me. Who's, who's that? God, right? God's will is that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up in the last day. In other words, Jesus says this. He says, once you have put your faith in me, I take over from there. It's all about me, not about you anymore. And Jesus said, I'm not going to lose one. I won't lose a one of you because God has drawn you to me. And I will make sure that you are raised up at the last day.
That's why Paul writes with confidence in Romans 8, 38 and 30 through 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life. Now look what he says. Neither angels nor what? Nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any other powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. I can't think of anything he didn't include because we are protected by Jesus himself. In fact, Philippians 1.6 says, being confident of this, that who, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. In other words, we trust him and Jesus takes it from there, right? The helmet of salvation, who you are, isn't as important as whose you are. And when you trust Jesus Christ, you are his. You are God's. And God's going to make sure it all turns out right in the end. Then, after we have the shield of faith and we have the helmet of salvation, now we're going to the sword of the Spirit. The Roman sword was the offensive weapon that he had. Now, he could use that boss on the shield to knock somebody around with. But it was the sword that he had. And that sword wasn't like we see in these, these movies where they're having these sword fights and swashbuckling and all that kind of stuff. Remember, that Roman soldier was in a tight formation. They had that, that thurios, that shield that looked like a door. And they had a short, stubby, double-edged sword. One long like we see in the movies. And that formation would be coming out there, and all of a sudden, he'd hit an enemy soldier with that boss, and then out of nowhere, a jab come that sword out from behind that shield right into the vital organs of the person and pierce them. Roman soldiers weren't doing this. They were doing this. They were jabbing. They were stabbing, killing their enemy that way. From outside that shield could come up from the bottom, could come over the top, come around the side. They never knew where it was coming from. Our sword is the sword of the spirit. Look what scripture says, which is the word of God. That's our sword, see? Now, in the Bible, in the Greek, there's two Greek words that are translated word. The first is logos. It's the title of Jesus, John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. You could say, in the beginning was logos, and logos was with God, and logos was God. That is the title for Jesus. That's the general revelation of God. But that's not the word used here in Ephesians chapter 6. The word for the word here is rima. Rima is the spoken word of God. It's the specific word of God. Hebrews 4.12 reminds us that the word of God, the rima of God, is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Now we're back to the Roman sword, see? It's a powerful weapon. When Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness after he was baptized, he immediately went into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan for 40 days. Well, after a while, we don't know exactly how long it was, but we guess it was towards the end of this and he hadn't eaten, he hadn't drank. He's at his weakest moment humanly. And Satan comes to him and says, what are you doing? You're the son of God. You're God. Why are you starving? Just make these stones bread and get something to eat. Remember how Jesus responded? 
He said, it is written that man shall not live by bread alone. Rima, boom, stab. The spoken word, spoken word. All three times, Jesus came back with Rima, a stab. He used scripture against Satan, and then Satan finally went his way until a more convenient time. See, that's our weapon. It's the spoken word of God. It's the specific word of God. That's why we must memorize specific verses of the Bible that particularly pertain to our areas of weakness. They're all different with all of us. I've got areas of weakness, you've got areas of weakness. Some of them may overlap. Some of them are totally different. We need to rema. When Satan attacks us in those areas, we need to have scriptures. For example, if mine, one of my areas is anger, and I've got a short fuse, well, when I start getting anger, I need to quote Psalm 37, 8. It says, refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It only leads to eagles or evil. So when I'm driving down the road and somebody cuts me off and I want to... <laughs> See, I need some scripture in my arsenal. I need to start quoting scripture. I need to rema. Maybe it's money attack. And all of a sudden, I get more, too involved with money. What scripture says, 1 Timothy 6.10, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. See, we, we need to understand that, see? If it's a temptation attack, we need 1 Corinthians 10.13. No temptation has seized you except which is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out. See, we, we need to know that. We need to ream of that. We need to speak it out loud so we hear it and we start looking for the way out instead of the way in. A fear attack. Maybe God makes us afraid or, or Satan makes us afraid about something. Psalm 27.1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Who shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? See, we need to have the word at our command. That's our sword. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. We rema it. And if we rema it out there, the same thing will happen in our life that happened in the life of Jesus. We come back with specific scriptures, and Satan is going to leave us alone. Say, but I don't know the Bible like you know the Bible. Well, we've gone over this recently. You don't need to know the Bible like a Bible seminary professor. There's all kinds of Bible software out there that you can get on your computer, and you don't even need that. Just Google, if your problem is anger, scripture's on anger. If yours is on money, scripture's on money. Whatever you want, it'll bring up all kinds of scripture. And then you memorize the ones that the Holy Spirit impresses upon you, and boy, next time it comes, you just rema it. You just stab it. You stab that thought with scripture. The weapons we fight are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have what? Divine power. They have what? Divine. They have what? Divine. Why? Because holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And he can deliver us from anything. Launch your counterattack today. You can do it. You can be victorious over the attacks of Satan. Submit yourselves to God. Then resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You can successfully engage evil. You can do it. God has empowered you to do it. Now your eyes are open. Now it's your turn to take what you've learned and to use it mightily 
in your defense and for the advancement of the kingdom of God. We, after the first lesson in this series, we observe communion to remind ourselves that God is for us and not against us. We're going to end the series in the same way. Remember, 1 John 3, 8 says, the reason the Son of God appeared, the reason the Son of God came here to planet Earth was to destroy the devil's work. And he gave his own life to do exactly that. Our ushers, our deacons are going to come and they're going to pass the communion trays. And as we observe communion, take a cracker first, put it on your lap, then take a cup, pass it to your neighbors, hold it until we've all taken And let's be reminded and let's be prayerful and let's be thankful. Let's thank God that he has made us more than conquerors. God bless you. Fight the good fight.